discuss the political fortunes of Il Duce. Governor Benito Cuomo of the state of New York continued to spiral downward inexorably as a sixth woman now comes forward to accuse the embattled governor of sexual improprieties. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Dury and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. You can do so very easily by going either to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, depending on which device you use, and search for the NPO podcast. If for some reason you prefer not to use your native podcast aggregator app and want something a little different, you can go to either of those two aforementioned app stores and you can download the free Podbean app from podbean.com, our hosting service. You can subscribe just as well there. You'll always be notified whenever a new episode is uploaded and you can leave comments. We please do ask that you leave reviews, good reviews of the show. The more positive reviews we get, particularly in the iTunes App Store and the Google Play Store, the more exposure the show will get when people are searching for new conservative content or news and political talk content on those app stores. Podcasts being one of the most rapidly growing formats whereby people who have become disgusted and disillusioned with mainstream media uh, are able to consume news and information. So, a sixth woman has come forward to accuse Governor Cuomo of sexual impropriety. Now, this woman was a um, a former member of the administration, and she accounts an, an incident which took place at the executive mansion last year. You've heard this covered by other news agencies. You won't hear it covered by CNN. CNN has completely blacked out this latest uh, chapter in the ongoing saga of the uh, devolution, shall we call it, of the governor of the state of New York. Here is a man who went from exalted mystic ruler, excuse me, earlier in the year, uh, to now the, the, um, the bane of the political, political world as his political fortunes have suffered. This coming on top of the nursing home scandal, moron, we will have in due course on that subject. But this woman says the man fondled her, put his hands under her blouse, and fondled her breasts. This from the governor of the state of New York. And the fact that we should be able to, or even consider, as he asks us to, uh, to wait for the due process, wait for all of the things that he didn't want to see accorded to others, like Brett Kavanaugh, who was not a serial abuser. He had one allegation, which we now know was completely fabricated against him in a desperate attempt to keep President Trump's appointee from getting to the Supreme Court. But uh, Governor Cuomo was the, one of the leading voices calling for the withdrawal of the nomination, that he take a lie detector test. Well, Governor Cuomo, we now put you to that standard, as I said the other day on the podcast. We think you should take a lie detector test. And I know anyone can pass a lie detector test uh, if you work hard enough at it. You, however, are not exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer, so I have a question in my mind as to whether you'll be able to pass it. But make no mistake, you're going to have to lie about six different allegations. And you're going to have to lie about six different allegations that most people believe actually took place. Judge Kavanaugh wouldn't have had to lie about anything. All he would have to do is 
tell the truth when he says, I don't remember these allegations because I never did anything like that in my life. You're a different story. How does a man who's the governor of a state, particularly a state as large and powerful and as influential as New York, claim that he's lonely and ask someone to find him a girlfriend? I mentioned this on the show the other day. You trying to tell me when you're the governor of a state that there aren't women coming on to you all the time or throwing themselves at you, or if not throwing themselves at you, you don't meet women in the normal course of events, which if you conducted yourself like a true gentleman, you might be able to cultivate a meaningful relationship with. It would seem to me it's possible. But then again, when you look like Bizarro, the uh, Marvel comic character, uh, perhaps it's not so easy. I don't know. We'll have to find out. But the fact of the matter is, the governor refuses to step down. He still thinks he's going to hold on to his job as the calls for his removal grow, even from his own party. Andrea Stewart Cousins, the Senate Majority Leader in the state of New York, has called for his resignation. He denies them continually, but now he calls them gut-wrenching. And I I think gut-wrenching is probably a, a pretty good uh, description, a very apt description, particularly when it's describing something that has now potentially put your political future uh, in the proverbial grave, with, or at least not if in the grave, one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel. But that's the current plight of Governor Cuomo. Now, other uh, New York politicians are coming to the feeding frenzy. The Attorney General, Letitia James, has appointed Attorney June H. Kim and Ann L. Clark. This was done this past Monday. Uh, They're going to lead an independent investigation into these allegations against the governor. Uh, For their part, they say they are committed to an independent and thorough investigation of the facts. Now, whether this is going to be a whitewash and that Cuomo is in on this and they're just doing this to give him cover, they're going to investigate it thoroughly and say, nothing to see here, go look elsewhere, Uh, we don't know. I, I said from the beginning, I find it very curious that there's so much uh, vitriol now being directed at the governor over the sexual harassment allegations, but virtually nothing, nothing on the order of magnitude of what we're seeing here when it comes to the numerous deaths that he is responsible for in New York nursing homes. We're going to get to that in a moment. There was a detailed article uh, today in the Epic Times uh, detailing just how he did this. Now, I gave you a lot of insight into this last month When this issue first came to the fore, I explained to you what they were doing and how they were doing it. So I'm glad that we were a little prescient here, uh, ahead of the curve, trying to jump on that where most other news organizations hadn't. Uh, But that is the case. But still, these sexual allegations, that's why I'm very suspicious of them. Are they just putting it out there and they plan to whitewash it? And after it's all done, they're going to say, oh, give the man a break. You already tried to wrongfully railroad him on sexual harassment, forget about the COVID deaths. I I don't put anything past these Democrats because they're nothing more than commucrats. So now let's go on to the nursing home. As I said, the big thing that they did, the big thing, was that anyone who was in a nursing home contracted COVID while they were there and then was moved 
from the nursing home because their condition had deteriorated to the point where adequate care could not be given in the nursing home and their lives were in jeopardy. And they were moved to a hospital in order to obtain that level of care. And then they subsequently died. Those deaths were not counted as nursing home deaths. They were counted as hospital deaths. And by that contrivance, the state of New York was able to keep the number of deaths that it appeared to have occurred in nursing homes lower than it actually was. And in this fashion, they were able to state they felt credibly that only 21% of all New York State COVID-19 deaths took place in nursing homes. Now, Cuomo repeatedly used to hawk this figure while he was claiming to be just reporting facts in his numerous press conferences. Now, that was a very, very, very low figure. Why do they hold on to that 21% figure? Because that 21% figure made it seem as if New York State was doing better than 45 of the other 50 states. It means that 45 out of the 50 states were doing worse managing their COVID-19 nursing home problem than the state of New York, if you believed Cuomo's figures. And he thought that was great. Here's a direct quote, uh, what he told uh, reporters in October. You look at the nursing home deaths in this state, Cuomo told reporters in October. Do you know what number we are by percentage before you made that statement? We're number 46 out of 50 states, and we had the worst problem. And we're 46th in terms of percentage of deaths in nursing homes. That's what he said in October. Now, the problem with that is that many people would say, well, he's being truthful. These people didn't die in nursing homes, so shouldn't they appropriately be counted as hospital deaths and not counted as nursing home deaths? There's only one problem with that statement. That statement might hold water if all the other states did it that way, but the other states don't do it that way. All of the other states count as nursing home deaths people who contracted the virus in a nursing home and then had to be moved to hospitals simply because the level of care that they needed was not available in the nursing homes. So Cuomo played a very, very shrewd and very, very uh, deceptive and uh, unlawful uh, manipulation with these numbers by counting them the way he did. When you factor in the people who died in hospitals that were sent to the hospitals from the nursing homes. New York now has 33% of all their COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes. And that changes everything. I mean, Rhode Island said it was 77%. Minnesota said 77%. But, you know, these states didn't have the total number of deaths. Many of them were, uh, were mostly in nursing homes. So, the off-sided 21% figure by Cuomo and his top aides jumps up to the 33% number I stated when you take into account the 4,000-plus previously unreported nursing home deaths uh, where the nursing home residents had been moved to hospitals and expired there. So instead of being 48th in the, in the states or 46th in the states, we're now 33rd out of the country in all these states. So he lied significantly about how this stuff was done. And this was, this was really quite shameful because you have to know 
that somebody's going to find out. He just can't lie with impunity and think no one's going to find out. But apparently he did. But whatever he thought, he's getting his comeuppance now. I mean, this is the man who was arrogant, and his arrogance is starting to wane a little bit. But all through the spring, all through the summer, he had a chip on his shoulder. Here's a line from a July 24th press conference. Just on the top line, we are number 35 in the nation in percentage of deaths in nursing homes. Go talk to 34 other states first. Go talk to the Republican states now. Florida, Texas, Arizona. Ask them what is happening in nursing homes. It's all politics. Well, maybe you think it's all politics, Governor, but those states you just excoriated, Florida, Texas, they're open for business and they're doing well and people are not dropping like flies. Meanwhile, people in New York are crawling around their hands and knees for crumbs trying to get whatever they can get. And you, despite your lying about the nursing home deaths, you're the one who wants to follow the science. Well, here's a little science for you, Duce. Something on the order of two and a half or under 3% of all infections are taking place in restaurants. So tell me why you've got such an, a, 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 I don't know, a hate of restaurants that you want to keep them down below 100% capacity. You've just raised effective March 19th to 75% all restaurants out of the city of New York. But how are people in the city of New York who pay the highest rent supposed to operate restaurants at 35% occupancy. And what is it justified by? A 2.5% infection rate? Give me a freaking break. Wake up and smell the coffee. Let these people go to do business. Enough about him. I think uh, Governor Cuomo's uh, time with us is going to be short. I don't see how he's going to withstand this. If there's, if there's any kind of semblance of an honest investigation, he has to go. And it's going to come from within, within his own party. He's now become a liability to the Democratic Party. His star is faded. He's no longer needed. They got their stolen election. They don't need someone they can hold up as a great leader for the Democratic Party. So Cuomo is dead. They're just looking to place to bury the body. Now, I've told you before that I felt the election was stolen. 73 million people think the election was stolen. And people are saying, no, it can't possibly be. No, no, it is. And the problem is that our very, very way of life in this country is under serious, serious attack on a daily basis. Things that make absolutely no sense, things that push the limits, push the absolute limits of partisanship and petty politics are popping up all around us. Now Dr. Seuss is being portrayed as having written books with racial overtones. There were no human beings in Dr. Seuss's boobs. There was the Who people from Whoville. Who the hell are they? Are they black? Are they white? Are they Hispanic? I don't know. I don't know what they are. I never saw a human being look like a Who from Whoville. Did you? But now Dr. Seuss has got to go. But Cardi B can win a Grammy Award with a song titled Wet Ass Pussy, and that somehow. It's fine. Kids can listen to it on the radio. But Dr. Seuss, he's got to go. That's just the tip of the iceberg as the world is turned upside down. I told you about H.R. 1, that, that potentially democracy-breaking bill that the Democrats want to get passed 
whereby all of the chicanery that you saw in the six swing states where the laws were changed by executive fiat by either the governor or the secretary of state in those states is going to be codified if it passes the Senate into a bill that would mandate these things as the normal state of affairs in all 50 states. The state legislatures would now be stripped of their constitutionally guaranteed and assured authority to govern how elections are taking, taking place in their states. And I suspect that a big, big federal court challenge would have to come, but who knows how it would turn out. One would think that with three new justices who supposedly were the best of the conservative lot, and the court 6-3 conservative, supposedly, that would be a slam dunk. But yet 6-3 conservative, not a one of them, came up to bat for the man who put them there. And they didn't have to do it simply because he's the one that put them there. The facts and logic dictated that they should have, and they didn't. So I thought that was the whole purpose of having lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court, the federal bench, so that these justices would be completely insulated from political pressure. They couldn't be removed. Now it's apparent that it's not just political pressure, because now in the 21st century, we don't put political pressure on judges. What we do is we put social pressure on judges. We destroy them on Facebook. We destroy them on Twitter. We camp outside their house. We dox them. We harass them wherever they go. We make their lives a living hell. So even though they don't have to run, they are running. Not for office. They're running for their lives. They're running from everything. Well, this is the 21st century. You all knew this when you took the job. These people weren't appointed 30 years ago when the country was different, or even 20 years ago. They were appointed during the Trump administration. They knew what the nature of the political weather map was when they jumped in. And if they weren't prepared to stand up with a little spine and do what was right, they had no business taking the job to begin with. You're there now. Measure up. Stand up. So where am I going with all this? Well, I'm going to tell you. The only person who's standing between a democratic or commucrat, as I call it, rollover of this country, is the man that they attacked incessantly for four years, Donald Trump. Now, we reported on this show uh, earlier in the week, and other news agencies have reported it, that Donald Trump went after the Republican National Committee and he went after the National Republican Congressional Committee because they were using his name in fundraising. Now, Trump, he supports the RNC, but he doesn't want them using his name for fundraising because they are using it to raise funds for people who voted for his impeachment, 10 GOP House members who voted for his impeachment. And there are Senate candidates who voted for his impeachment. Trump doesn't want to see those people reelected, and I don't blame him. So now, even though he supposedly came to an agreement, it's being discussed here that Trump may cease cooperation. This is an article in the Epic Times published today. That he may cease cooperation with the Republican National Committee and its chamber affiliates if they attack candidates 
that Trump endorses against the GOP lawmakers who voted to impeach him. This we're getting from Trump advisor Jason Miller. Now, he's a spokesman and former advisor of the president. He told Steve Bannon's War Room in their podcast, I'm um, Steve Bannon in the War Room podcast, rather, yesterday, that even though the recent spat with the RNC over the use of Trump's name and his likeness has been settled, there would be, quote-unquote, big problems if the committee or its House and Senate affiliates oppose Trump-endorsed candidates in the 2022 primary elections. Trump has only endorsed one candidate thus far, Max Miller. He's a candidate against one of the Republicans, one of the 10, who voted in favor of impeachment. But the National Republican Congressional Committee, known as the NRCC Chairman Tom Emmer, had said earlier this month that he cautioned Trump against doing so and indicated that the the NRCC will support the 10 GOP members who voted for impeachment. Now, Jason Miller said that The chairman, Emmer, was forced to make the comments because by GOP bylaws, uh, they require him to back the incumbents. He nonetheless warned that Trump would get personally involved if the committee went after Trump's candidates. Now, let me tell you something. I've said it all along. They want you to believe that this this dementia-ridden fool got 80-some-odd million votes, more votes than Donald Trump, who got 73 million, which is more than any other president had gotten before, more votes than Ronald Reagan, more votes than the supposedly beloved Barack Obama, who actually lost votes in his re-election bid over what he won with in 2008. They want you to believe that he got more votes than any president in history, incumbent, challenger, you name it. And this from a guy who never left his basement. I'm not buying it. Trump's votes were real. The Republican Party is his. There's no question about it anymore. The Republican Party is Trump's. Whatever Trump supports, whatever Trump comes out for, that's where the majority of Republican voters are going to go, and that's where the majority of Republican voters are going to send their money. By doing what he did, by raising his own funds, by having his own uh, political action committee, his own PACs, and getting money to go to him, where he distributes it to the RNC and the NRCC as he sees fit. He has now got a stranglehold on the GOP. They may try and deny it, but they're never going to be able to outraise their Democratic uh, counterparts if they don't give in to Trump. Now, Trump is going to get involved one way or the other, and they're going to have big problems if they try and oppose him. And this is one of the main reasons why I am hopeful for the future, because Trump is still involved in the party. He's not going to go third party, like I originally thought he might. He's not going to walk away from the Republican Party. Instead, he recognizes that he is the Republican Party, and he's going to take it over. It's going to follow the tune that he plays, or it's going to devolve into obscurity. And it's as simple as that. The Republican Party belongs to Donald Trump, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, Trump issued official statements about this. Um, Like I said, the tiff between the RNC and Trump was resolved with Trump releasing statements showing they will work together. But Trump's statements specifically noted that no money should go to support the rhinos, otherwise known as Republicans in name only, a reference to Republican lawmakers who may vote and legislate like Democrats. He wants to make sure no rhinos get any of the money that he's raising. 
Anything he's doing isn't going to help rhinos or picking bad candidates, said Jason Miller. He is, I think, it's probably an understatement, pretty fired up about this. And you should be pretty fired up about it too. Because I'm telling you right now, my friends, we're at a dangerous crossroads. I don't even know if we can survive these next two years because they are going so crazy with these executive orders uh, that I don't know if there's, a, if there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I am hopeful, though, for one reason. They may be pushing us in this direction, and people may think it's normal after two years of living this way. But remember one thing. Trump's predecessor, Barack Obama, governed essentially the same way. See, I never understood why people thought Barack Obama was such a great president. All right, he was a milestone. He was the first African-American president in a country that had had slavery of African-Americans at one time. But beyond that, Barack Obama, and you can look and you can challenge me if you wish, but you can look at the historical record, he has no legislative achievement that he can point to. Nothing. He had no foreign policy successes. He had no legislative achievement. The only major bill that was passed during both his bloody terms was the Affordable Care Act. Forget the stimulus bills. That's just pissing away money like the Democrats always do. That's no achievement. Just printing up money or borrowing money that we don't have to give it to people who don't deserve it. But the Affordable Care Act was their signature deal. He did nothing with the Affordable Care Act. He didn't write a single word of it. All he did was sign it. It was passed by Congress. And everything he said about it was a lie. If you like your health plan, you can keep it. If you like your doctor, you can keep him. Both of those things weren't true. And now the affordable health care is put asunder. The damage that Barack Obama did to the country was in part permanent because of the way he put people into the bureaucracy, the people who led the coup against Trump. But in terms of public policies and government machinations, most of the things that Barack Obama did, he did with a stroke of his executive pen, executive orders. And Trump countermanded all those orders in the early days of his administration. So I say, don't worry too much about Joe Biden's executive orders. Everybody else is criticizing him by writing executive orders. I say, go ahead, write all the executive orders you want. Let people see how screwed up life is operating that way. Because then when they try and codify these things into legislative acts, people are going to push back. Even some Democrats might push back. And if they don't try and codify it and just try and ride it out with executive action, those orders can be countermanded just as quickly as they were written by a new administration. So folks, there is hope. The country is not finished yet. People every day are becoming more readily aware of Joe Biden's dementia. World leaders are aware of it. They can't hide it anymore. The man hasn't had a press conference solo without any help since he took office. And the month of February has come and gone, and now we're almost halfway into the month of March, and we have no State of the Union address. They're saying it's going to be postponed, and it is. They're just not telling you for how long. By the time we get to April, they'll say, well, you know, it's already April. I mean, we don't want to ruin the tradition, so we'll just, we'll just say we're not going to do it this year because, you know, we had so much work to do to figure out 
how we're going to get back from all those reprehensible things that Trump did, and we'll just pick it up again next year. Of course, by next year, it's very doubtful that Joe Biden will be with us, at least not in the Oval Office. He'll be someplace, probably a rest home, like Happy Acres, where you can sit with the farina spoon in the corner for an hour. Wow! As any youngman used to say. You can't make this stuff up. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.